Hello and welcome to the Cinema in Seconds podcast. This is the podcast where we look at small moments in great movies. My name is Ian. And I'm Daniel. And this week we are starting off our October. And you know what we like to do. We like to look at, you know, some of the more scary movies out there. Although this time, scary and funny. Because we're looking at horror comedies. Uh, to help us out, Brooke, welcome back to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, welcome back to the show. Um, You're an October regular. Yes, I am. I was saying to my parents, you know, every almost every year, it's like an annual thing now. <laughs> yeah. You're one of our spooky friends. A spooky friend. Yeah. <laughs> so um, are you excited to talk about horror comedies? Yeah, I am. Um it's something that's a little different for me because I don't it's not really something that I guess I talk about when I think of horror. So but I do watch a lot of horror comedy, even if I don't realize it, mm-hmm. I guess. Um and I'm pretty bad when it comes to movies for like a quick joke. I'll chuckle at the stupidest things. <laughs> um so <laughs> So it's not it's not hard to get me laughing in a horror comedy. Let's put it that way. I'm the opposite. I'm stone faced. I expect only the uh, most intelligent and highbrow to crack this facade. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) As will be evident in my my picks. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. The the one the movie that pops into my mind whenever I think of horror comedies is um, Shaun of the Dead. And none of us picked it. (laughs) yeah oh well no i mean that one's interesting because it's so for one it's also it's like because it's the big one it's almost like you don't want to choose it for that reason yeah um it also this is maybe a question but like with a lot of these movies it's like are they horror first or are they comedy first and not that there needs to be a right answer but there is a difference say between you know like the scary movies, for example, are technically horror comedies, but they're really more comedies yeah. that have like horror tropes in them. And Shaun of the Dead is definitely more of a horror movie than those films, just by virtue of being, you know, made by a filmmaker who has a sense of craft and taste. Um, but I would say for me, it's a comedy first. Yeah, I agree. It does straddle that line pretty well, though. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Because yep. also, not only does it play for real scares, but it plays for real drama at points, too. Definitely does. Which threw me for a loop when I first watched it. Because mm-hmm. um, I... the title is really silly. It is. It's the great. Title, it, it, the title is like uh, is basically the same as like Stan Helsing, which is one of those <laughs> scary movie-esque parodies from a couple of years ago. Which I haven't seen, so maybe it's really good, but I have my doubts. Um and it's yeah, it's shocking that Shaun of the Dead is like a real movie. That's true. And you did bring it up already, but your the absence of scary movies is evident in your picks, considering you just went through the entire series recently. Well, if there were moments the worth people want about, scary movie. I mean, she almost did. <laughs> Do you want to have your honorary mention, honorable mention now? No, I. <laughs> I was kind of joking about this moment, but every time I joke about this all the time. Have you seen any of the sequels, Ian? Heck no. Okay. <laughs> well, the third one is like, uh, like 
the ring and signs i think it's parodying mainly mm-hmm. and the matrix reloaded the best horror well, film of 2003 <laughs> yeah so that's really bizarre um but there's this part where in signs i got spoiler alert um the wife dies and the priest loses his, his faith so then um spoiler she alert dies, indeed yeah sorry um <laughs> I'm tired. It's the premise of the movie. It's well, okay, yeah. The priest loses his face because his wife died. His wife died because somebody was I can't remember if he fell asleep at the wheel or if what I think happened. that was I think that was the deal, yeah. Yeah, and he ran her into a tree and she was crushed. So they're redoing the scene in Scary Movie Three, and uh Charlie Sheen is the priest or like the dad, and the lady's trying to explain to him how how she was crushed and so he's like not getting it i can't remember what she said at first she he's pinned he's like well what do you mean so that she takes out a hot dog and she breaks the hot dog in half and charlie sheen says she broke her wiener (laughs) and it makes me laugh every time Because she's trying to explain that she, she severed in half. Yeah. yeah. So there's like one, there's like a subway sandwich that the they then try to split in half and like all these different references. But that one, it just, I don't know why, it just makes me laugh every time. See, the best line in the film is in that scene, but it's not that. It's when he's walking over and you have the panning shot where he sees the guy who killed his wife in the in signs proper it's the m night character and he looks up at charlie sheen and goes i'm gonna need a ride home that's the actual <laughs> funniest line in the scene and probably the funniest line in the series um which tells you a lot about the the batting average of the comedy in the sk- despite the fact that this one you can't stop laughing <laughs> um. Okay. So now when you imagine me watching these four terrible films, this is what's next to me watching it. Now imagine how much worse that is. I'm sitting through these insulting films oh, and so it's bad. like I'm next to Max Katie, like ah! <laughs> look at a cigar blowing in my face. Sorry. So uh, I can't help it. So that's our honorable mention. Oh my God. Um, powerhouses of cinema. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, um, movie. I wasn't gonna make you watch that though. So, uh... <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I was immediately saying, you know, if you pick it, Ian has to. <laughs> it's like written by law. Yeah, and I and, I, and I'm already serving him something he's gonna probably hate. This yes, week, so. yes, you are. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna go with the first pick today, though. First, so we're gonna start with uh, what we do in the shadows, which I think was 2014. Yep, maybe 15. <sighs> Yeah, 2014. So it's Taika Waititi uh, before he did Thor and hit it big. And so what we do in the shadows is kind of like a mockumentary of four vampires who are living in an apartment in New Zealand, um, either Wellington or Auckland. I don't remember. And my moment is, A, I think it's a it's a good litmus test for whether or not you're going to like this movie is if you watch this scene and it'll either work for you or it won't work for you. So I think it's a good, a good test to see if this is a good horror comedy for you. I also like the way that the comedy plays on tone. So what it, one of the vampires is basically describing how they became a vampire. And so it's got kind of, you know, ominous 
tone total music behind it and he's telling the story and you're seeing like all these um these kind of gothic looking pictures and he's talking about how uh he used to be trade wares trade his wares is how the way he said it in the middle ages um and one day he was like snatched and this giant monster was rising above him and he sets the scene like this gloomy eerie scene he's like and then he this monster rose above me and he had bitten me to the point almost to death and then he said i am a vampire and then he says and it was peter and we've been friends ever since (laughs) which i think is is a fantastic use of of tone and expectations and how to how to defy the audience expectations for a good laugh um and it it's also pretty representative of the film itself which is like taking vampire lore that is so ingrained in our culture and just having fun with it and just doing goofy things with it and saying okay what if these vampires were living today and how ridiculous would they seem to us and they seem pretty ridiculous so (laughs) that's my moment it's also a pretty good um sort of send up inadvertently but of the sort of dynamic between the main vampires and something like interview with a vampire where you know the tom cruise character is who turns brad pitt and they're friends and quasi lovers but it's very like strained and torturous and melancholic and brooding as vampire stories tend to be and in this, it's like they're buds. Yeah. And, and that's so <laughs> much. Fun. Yeah. And it's also funny because the Peter is like one of the the really gross looking Nosferatu vampires that is just frightening even just to look at. And to think that somebody's just his pal is hilarious mm-hmm. too. Yeah, he's genuinely like uncomfortable to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also great, too, because the timing of it where it's like, and it was Peter, and you cut to the wide, and he's sitting right next to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they take a moment before he says, we've been friends ever since. Like, they really, like, it's so perfectly timed, even though it's very simple in, you know, what we're actually being shown visually. It's still really carefully uh, put together. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful little scene in a, in a movie that, uh, this movie won me over. I liked it quite a bit. I think it has oh. lots of these types of moments that just keep you keep you laughing. It might be my favorite Taika movie. Yeah. I like Wilder People quite a bit, but it's between these two for sure. Wilder People is probably like a more solid film overall, but what we do in the shadows is really funny. And it goes a long (laughs) way. Uh, And I haven't seen, to be fair, like Boy, which I know people really love. Um, And I think there's one other big early one that I'm missing from that period. Uh, Shark versus. No, I've seen that. Uh, I thought that sucked. I really didn't like that movie <laughs> at all. Um, but I like this and I like uh, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People quite a bit. Yeah, me too. So, too. And then once the, were- once the werewolves come into this too, it's it's kind of like a whole different dynamic that works mm-hmm. pretty well. Mm-hmm. It's also neat to see like the mockumentary format applied to something really far removed because like Spinal Tap so fully, I think, defines that style of comedy and the Christopher Guest mockumentaries that follow, while they are different, they are following similar, um, vaguely similar, like it's eccentric people in these really specific niches. Yeah. And technically what we do in the shadows is doing that too. But because it's a fantastical group and it's supernatural, it still has a very different flavor from the likes of Waiting for Guffman or Best in Show, uh, which are also great movies, to be yeah. clear. 
Yeah, I think it was a brilliant move to to try to do a horror comedy in that vein, and it works. Mm-hmm. It could very easily not work, but this one yeah. Does. Have you watched the show at all? Uh, you know what? I might have seen a little bit of it. A lot of people tell me to watch it. I just never have. I've just okay. never gotten around. Have you? No, I'm in the Either same boat. Uh, I don't think. No, no. no. The one thing that's really compelling for me, though, is that I think one of the main characters is Matthew Barry, I believe is the actor's name. Oh, yeah. Is Sanj from uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which is one of the greatest comedy television series of all time. <laughs> so that makes me very, very, very curious because yeah, I love is, him. He is pretty funny. Yeah. 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 So there you go. If you haven't seen what to do, what we do in the shadows, check it out. It's. Mm-hmm. it's a good romp and even even just google this scene the it was peter scene see if you like it because i think it's yeah it'll show you if it's the kind of comedy for you or not and if you do like it you should watch the whole film because it's full absolutely like even the first time we meet peter is like i won't go into too much detail but like the reveal <laughs> is both like so frightening because he looks like nosferatu but also so funny like we were cackling the first time we saw it um i think it was my first taika movie too oh yeah yeah <laughs> man way to hit the ground running yeah yeah i'm pretty sure it was mine as well yeah we should yeah, mention it's it. co-directed by i think is it jermaine clement who co-directs it with him I, oh i don't know actually i did it's co-directed by someone oh okay might have been I like jermaine clement. he's hilarious too yeah. yes he is it's he's just like, i like i like how all the vampires are like different stereotypes of vampires like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's kind of like the seductive vampire um yeah very good it's also which is a good thing to mention with with peter because i feel like if memory serves he kind of has the least to do which makes sense because he's Mm -hmm. not verbal and a lot of the comedy is like that sort of riffing ad lib so it's hard to you know get too much out of him so this is one of the few scenes where he gets to be one of the funniest parts and uh that's nice yeah (laughs) for us peter stands we we like that a lot (laughs) and just the fact that his name is just peter (laughs) that's true too (laughs) just that in itself is funny oh nice all right all right well brooke let's throw it over you for your first moment um so i chose a moment from um oh my god why am i even army of darkness (laughs) I was thinking of Evil Dead, but then I was like, no, not that one. Evil Dead 2, no, not that one. And then I was thinking of the new ones, Evil Dead Rise and Evil Dead. Evil Dead. Yeah. yeah. And then anyways. Apparently but... at one point, one of the working titles was Medieval Dead. Oh, for Army of Darkness? I don't know if that's actually true or if it's just like fans <laughs> call it that because that's what it is. But that's hilarious. Um, I guess, yeah, watching these movies for the first time with Dan, um, Cause he's like, you've got to watch these movies. Cause you like horror and, and you love Sam Raimi. I do. I do. It's, um, it was awesome. Um, I think it hits such an interesting balance between being hilarious and so absurd that it just like, doesn't make sense to also being very serious in its horror and the themes and the, even just like the makeup and the way that it's shot. Like, I think that there's some really cool elements that are at play here. But um, I don't know where I was going with this. I just think it's cool. Um, (laughs) But they do this a lot in the third movie, too. 
Um, and kind of what you were saying, Ian, about like setting up these expectations for this horror film and then kind of tearing them down by having this kind of weird comedy. I, my moment kind, um, my moment is similar in that sense because I chose it where Ash, the main character, he's got, he has to say the words to grab the Necromicon, the Book of the Dead. Classy Verata. Yeah, 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 exactly. And he's he's botched them. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, so then he takes the book, <laughs> even though he was supposed to say the right words, he did botch them, takes the book. And then all of a sudden, these like the ground starts shaking. Um, the tomb starts stones start flying like rockets out of the ground. <laughs> hilarious. But he's walking and, you know, like you're like, OK, something's coming. And then all of a sudden you see these skeleton hands come out from the ground and grab him. So you're thinking, oh, okay, like there's gonna be like some scary music and it's gonna, he's gonna have to struggle his way out. And he, he does struggle his way out. But in the process, it's like slapstick comedy where these, (laughs) these uh, skeleton hands are like, I don't think they're giving him a wet willy, but they're like pulling at (laughs) his face and like doing this three stooges, like poking at your eyes and he's trying to, you know block that and then they got they poke him in the ears and they're kicking him on the side and then they all and then there's a bunch of skeleton fists that all of a sudden just punch them all at the same time and it makes that like dizzy noise from like cartoons where he's like he's trying to get out and i just i don't know how to explain it other than just a bunch of skeletons doing goofy stuff to bruce campbell but it's funny and it's just a small thing that happens in this movie with all the other bizarre things that happen. But I think it's a nice little touch to the movie um, that kind of brings to light, you know, the comedy behind this movie. And there's a lot of moments like it that I think are fun. And this was just one of them that I picked. Nice. It's a, it's a, yeah, you're, you're right. It's a good example of like setting up something that we've seen so many times before, like the skeleton hand rising out of the grave. Um, and, but playing it for its own twist. Um, I'll be honest. I don't love the three stooges stuff. I don't know why, because I usually like most of the, like, I like most of the physical comedy in this, but I will say when like he gets hit by all those fists at the same time, that is hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> that's good stuff <laughs> i think this is a perfect place for the three stooges it bits is because it is. well in part because like you know the creepy skeletons are like an iconic horror visual like every halloween people's yards mm-hmm. have skeletons but and i hate to quote it again but scary movie too this is bones sydney like we actually like are put in a situation where you have a skeleton fighting bruce campbell who's a big broad-shouldered man with a shotgun and you got all these other guys who are like these tall six foot knights with armor and swords. It's not that hard to batter some bones. So having <laughs> it be this scene where they're like slapping him around in such a goofy way, I think works really well. And like the just visually the bones being so thin and um, by its nature, like black, they're so like um, flimsy in a way, like having them just be instead of like a really serious threat, just slapping him around and poking him in the <laughs> eyes and that to me is like that's true it's almost more physical uh, physically visceral than a big skeleton monster who he fights would be true 
Yeah, the, the skeletons themselves, like even throughout the rest of the movie, like they're hilarious. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when they're retreating, they're like, oh, let's get out of here. And yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, they're pretty funny. Yeah, there's something pretty charming to those effects. <laughs> Watching yeah. those skeletons run away. Mm-hmm. There's now, one shot. Sorry, go ahead. Ian. Was it Harryhausen like inspired or was it actually yes. Harryhausen? Oh, was it actually Harry Harryhausen did the animation? I don't. don't I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so him. either. I'm guessing he was retired by then. Yeah, um, I would think so. It's funny though. Even more than the animation, I think the funniest skeleton shot in the movie is where it's like it's so clearly they're just throwing prop skeletons at Bruce Campbell, and he oh, yeah. like will stay a one liner and throw it off camera, and it's like this is the perfect level of schlock. <laughs> In the middle of this like big battle where they've clearly put a not insubstantial amount of money into, you know, the castle design and some of the other aspects of the final set piece that this is literally just like and you can almost you can practically hear Sam Raimi directing like skeletons to be thrown at Bruce endlessly. (laughs) It's delightful. And and I don't think that I don't think Brooks scene works without someone like Bruce Campbell who just knows how to react to something like that in just the goofiest way. But like he, he gets the tone of this movie. There's yeah. no doubt about it. And if you didn't, if you had somebody there that wasn't like on the exact same wavelength as Sam Raimi, I don't think it works. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. His bravado to Bruce Campbell's as he like, once he's, when he's fumbling the words and he's still doing it with such confidence He's like, all right, I said the words. Like, just being so committed to, you know. Maybe not every symbol, syllable. Yeah. Uh, It's also fun that the words are from, I believe, the day the earth stood still. They are, yes. Yeah. And that's charming. That is. I like that a lot. Um, It's funny, too, Brooke, you mentioned, like, the sort of balance in this series of horror and comedy because, you know, the first Evil Dead is for the most part a straightforward horror movie. It's just really low budget. So there's a camp quality to it. Mm -hmm. And then the second film, they really embrace Bruce Campbell as a one-man show who can create magic from anything. So it's actually still mostly, I think, a straight horror film, except you have this extremely funny main character. And then by the time you get to the third movie, it's a comedy. (laughs) (laughs) It's very much a comedy. That, but like kind of back to your guys point like I, I really don't think these movies would have worked without Bruce Campbell because like he just he really does just get the idea of these movies and like Sam Raimi's I guess vision for what he wanted from these because I just yeah no I don't think it would have worked with anybody else being in the lead role like that well it's perfect too because he is like old school movie star handsome Right. Like he, he looks like a leading man and yet there's just something that's a little it's like 10% too much <laughs> that it just becomes like the greatest comedic leading man but like you look at him and it's like dark hair tall he's got chiseled face strong chin his biography is called if chins could talk I believe right yeah it is like <laughs> and yet it's like no you're, you're too funny <laughs> I don't know he's got a strange magic he does, you know, that he's kind of been chasing ever since this movie. I haven't seen, have either of you seen the TV show that he was in, the Evil Dead TV show? Just some no, clips. 
Yeah, I never give it a chance, but I saw him in the cameo for the Doctor Strange movie, the new one. Yep, which is one of the best parts of the film. He's hilarious. (laughs) Every time he cameos with Sam Raimi, it's magic. Even in Oz the Great and Powerful, it's a fun scene. He should have played Oz. If you take that That exact same movie, but uh, it's Bruce Campbell in the main role instead of James Franco, (laughs) a million times better. Yeah. Oh, well... That's true of most movies, though. I mean, technically, you could argue like 127 hours, Franco's best performance. Bruce Campbell kind of did in the Evil Dead movie. <laughs> he also loses his hand. If That's if true. if uh, you know if that 127 hours guy approached the scenario like Bruce Campbell did, <laughs> I'm just saying, would have been a much funnier movie. <laughs> oh, now remind me, was the skeleton scene before or after the the one with all the little ashes? They're attacking him. I think it's after. I can't remember what's first. I think it's got to be after, just yeah. based on the flow of the story. Because they go, yeah, because they go to the windmill and then he goes on his way back from the windmill to the cemetery, I think. I think so. And I will say, like, that windmill section for me is probably the weakest section of the movie. With all the little guys? You don't yeah. like that part? Well, just because, like, the whole point of this movie is that we're taking Ash out of just the cabin. But then this scene is like he's basically in a cabin again. Like, it's the small, isolated environment. I don't know. I think it's pretty funny. The effects are (laughs) neat. Like, it's still entertaining. But for me, it's like, I want more of the medieval stuff. That's fair. Well, you got lots of it. They have a big battle at a castle. I want more. (laughs) Why is it? What about a jousting scene? I don't know. Yeah, that's true. They should have added a jousting scene. But yeah. The the skeletons could ride the other horse and then the like their jousting could just be like a bunch of other skeletons stacked on their shoulders. Oh, there that'd we be go. Fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Extended cut. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, good pick, Brooke. <laughs> I gotta watch this again. It's been ages. You have, have this on Blu-ray. I do. I have I have to uh yeah, I've been thinking about watching it again this October. It's crazy to me that you have this and none of the others. It's a little weird. I won't lie. Because I'll also put forth that while I like this movie a lot, it's the weakest of the three. Yeah, some people say that. <laughs> I think the first one's actually the best. Hot take. I don't love it. I don't love it. To me, I it's the most impressive. It's impressive. I'll give it that. But... I, I just like the comedy aspect of Army of Darkness. That's fair. And well, I've got and the fact fond that it's memories like... of like watching it with friends back in, you know, early days. The fact that it's basically a medieval fantasy, it loans itself to your wheelhouse. It does. Yeah. Um, which in a way actually segues really nicely with my my pick. A little bit. Um, Let's see where you're which... going. Is uh 1992's Brain Dead, also known as Dead Alive, uh, an early film. From one Peter Jackson. Oh, it's the same movie? Yeah. Okay, because I was going to look for it on streaming, and I was like, I can't remember. Which one was it? Was it Brain Dead or Dead Alive? Which did, which did Dan pick? I guess it didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I usually go by Brain Dead just because that's the original title, but in like like the DVD I have says Dead Alive on the cover. So. Definitely thought they were two different movies. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is uh, not Peter Jackson's first film. It's the oldest of his movies that I've seen, though. And it's basically a zombie movie. 
that at one point I think was even in the Guinness Book of World Records as the goriest movie ever made, which take that with a grain of salt, because how does one measure that? But uh, mm. it is pretty gross and it's pretty nasty. And certainly when you get to the end and there's uh, the main characters tearing apart zombies with uh, one of those old school lawnmowers with the giant blade in the center that just spins and he's just going through piles of them. Um, you know, it's made a valid shot at the crown for goriest of all time, but that's not my moment. My moment is far smaller and far grosser. It comes about midway through the film when our main character, Nigel, is trying to disguise the fact that his mom is very slowly decaying into this hideous and disgusting zombie, and she has to have a meeting with this committee, this woman from this committee for this group that she's on. I don't remember all the details. Doesn't really matter. What does matter is they're having a luncheon, and what more a perfect setting for a gross-out zombie comedy than a lunch scene where you have wet-looking foods that can mix with the grossness of this decaying body. And, um, Ian, I don't know why you're discouraged. Surely you must be excited to see an early Peter Jackson flick. Oh, yeah. This man made some of your favorite films of all time. That's why I rushed to check it out. Well, you know, this is, uh, it's just the gift that I'm willing to give you. But so this scene... You know, so it's uh, you've got Nigel, his zombified mom, who's barely holding the conversation together and is also consumed with hunger, the woman who she's meeting with, and then the woman's husband. And I love the gross details. And it actually, for what it's worth, is not as like uh, sort of indulgent or over the top. It's not that many gross gags. And they're mostly at the end of the scene. It's just that the gross gags that deliver are really nasty. Mm -hmm. First, when you have like a pile of blood spurt out of mama zombie's hand into this guy's pile of custard and he takes a big scoop and eats it. And then when her own ear falls off into her bowl of custard and then she scoops it up and eats it. Uh, But and those are gross. But those are the only two. It's actually pretty restrained. What I like more of the scene is just the inherent tension of it where you're waiting for like both the tension of like, is her cover going to get blown? Is she going to go feral and kill these people? You know, is it going to, what's it going to be for Nigel? Because amidst everything, Nigel is genuinely a really empathetic protagonist who you really root for. But then also that tension of like, how gross is this going to get? And it it does eventually deliver that. But the real secret sauce of the scene, n- no pun intended, um, <laughs> is the the woman's husband who's there who's completely oblivious to everything happening evident in his first line in the scene where they're talking about ways to get more young people engaged and it's kind of quiet and it cuts to a wide shot and the husband slamming his fist on the table going what we need is another war (laughs) it's such a shattering moment it's so funny but then the mom starts decaying and nigel's trying to distract from it so he's like or she takes some food from the other woman's plate so Nigel starts scooping his beans onto her plate, saying like, oh, you can have some of mine. And then the husband leans in like, I'll take some of those, lad. Like, he's just all about himself. Then the lunch ends and they think they're going to walk away. And the, the husband again being like, what? No pudding? And then it cuts to <laughs> Nigel wheeling out these custards. And it's just a close up of the custards. So you're like, oh, God, the grossness is coming. And him being like, oh, just custards, I'm afraid. He's like, oh, good, I love a good custard. And he points to his wife. She never makes the stuff. Like, (laughs) in the midst of, like, the gross-out comedy, the real secret weapon is this sitcom husband being such (laughs) an ignorant blowhard. And I can't stop laughing throughout the entire sequence. 
So that's my moment. That's comedy goodness. That's your highbrow comedy. That's, you know, it's like, uh, it really is reminiscent of like the classics. Mark's brothers and, you know, (laughs) it's comedy of manners. It's like the rules of the game. I saw, I saw, I have not seen this movie. I, I, I know I could have sought it out. I just, I didn't. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, But I did watch the scene. And the fact that she's a zombie puts it into a lot more context. Because I was like, what is with this lady? (laughs) What's going on? (laughs) That makes a lot more sense now. Um, Yeah, it's gross. I don't know what else to say. It's gross. I hate Mm -hmm. you sometimes. (laughs) That's fair. Why do you do this to me? (laughs) honestly this is a really good movie and i actually i'm i'm curious for i don't think you'll like it that much when you do watch (laughs) it shocking but i am curious because as a fan of the lord of the rings the last time i rewatched it i was like you know i'm not gonna say that you can tell or that audiences could tell in 1992 this guy would go on to direct like the greatest fantasy film achievement of all time but you do get glimmers of his skill at staging intricate um, multi-level battle sequences at the end, for example, as silly as the climax is. It's this ex- it's essentially an extended battle scene with many different threads moving through it. Mm. Um, and the basic just setting changes a lot throughout that sequence. There's a balance of practical special effects and miniatures and mixing different techniques to create one coherent sequence. Um, even the the blending of tones like there's a lot of impressive filmmaking in there and i am as much as one i do like making you watch gross disgusting shit because it amuses me um (laughs) as a fan of those movies i am wondering if there's going to be some interest in just kind of spotting that aspect of jackson's craft developing all right well i'll build my way up to it (laughs) i want to know what brooke's thoughts are i want to know if she's on board with this scene or not um it is okay it is funny um but i also do wince when i watch it like even just rewatching <laughs> it i was like oh my god like this is so gross um i will say it at least from what i remember that was the scene that caused me to feel the like ickiest the rest of the movie like was like okay like i can get through that i i can get through the rest of the movie like gore mm. doesn't really bother me but like stuff like that i'm like mm, <laughs> i don't <laughs> If I was eating during that scene, I'd be totally like lo- losing my appetite. Like, yeah, no. For like a week. Happening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I I get it. I get both sides. Um, but I, I enjoyed the movie, actually. It was good. I can see I can see what you mean about like the the husband kind of adding to the humor of the scene, though. I get that. I get that. And I will say, like, I do think there's a genuine craft to like really when you break it down it's kind of like when people talk about a movie like reservoir dogs being so violent and you really don't see that much violence in it this you see a lot more violence but just in the sequence there's two really gross visuals there's the the blood that spurts into the custard and there's the ear falling in and those are gross but those are like towards the end most of it is just building for where you're waiting for this like disgusting thing to happen anticipation of what will happen yeah and even though I didn't see the rest of the movie, I still had that context because I knew that you picked the scene. And I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> Dan picked this for some disgusting reason. 
<laughs> and my apprehension was figuring out what that was. So <laughs> yeah, what is the sick bugger making me do now? Um, I mean that's what I'm here for, you know. That's the yin and yang that balances out the show. Um, I did almost pick a less gross moment. There's a scene that's I don't know if I can talk about in as much sort of like intellectualizing or analyzing as I can in this scene, but there's a moment, there's a priest in the film. And we see him earlier performing a service, and he's like, okay, he's just a background character that actor seems to have a little spark but he's nothing special but then later zombies show up and start you know wreaking havoc and he comes out and just starts busting out kung fu moves and beating up the zombies and there's a line where he says i kick ass for the lord and it's just like (laughs) i've heard about that scene (laughs) (laughs) this is so much fun um but yeah i think i ultimately have more to say about the the grossness (laughs) and uh and I like making you watch that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's becoming apparent. <laughs> it fills me with power, and uh, and our fans love it. So, <laughs> oh boy, well, yeah, maybe I'll watch it someday. You have I, to. I guess you brought it up. You've devoted yourself to watching everything. You watch the kissing booth. Like, come on. <laughs> At least this is that's art. true. That's true. <laughs> this is from Academy Award winner Peter Jackson. Aren't all three Lord of the Rings films in your top 100? Yeah. Aren't they all in your, like, your top 10? Well, close. No, but one of them is. So, and you're going to be like, oh, I guess I'll... You have to. <sighs> Fine. You watched all three Hobbit movies. This is better than those. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> okay. Well, good scene, I guess. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> no, it, get it. seriously, I did like I do like it, like how you broke it down. It does make sense. Um yeah. Okay. Well, I'll move I to my how next digestive system will break down that ear. Oh <laughs> you had to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was gonna say you had to just rub it in a little bit. <laughs> I right. am the greatest. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to move to my next pick. Um, so we kind of talked about Evil Dead, and Evil Dead is a good, it's kind of like the staple for that, you know, cabin in the woods. Well, I guess that's might be more Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but you know, this the same deal, like the, that's not really a cabin in the woods, but same idea. Like you're that's going, a house on a plane. You're going out to the boonies, and you're going to be stuck somewhere, and bad things are going to happen to your crew. Uh, so that's kind of like a running trope i suppose in horror movies horror movies love that kind of stuff evil dead's a big one and a few years ago i guess that was 10 years ago now they came out with a movie called cabin in the woods which was kind of a big send-up of that while still being that at the same time but my movie is going to be a much more comedic version of that so it's called tucker and dale versus evil uh and so the this is one of those movies where it's high concept and the high concept itself is so funny. You just kind of have to check this movie out. Um, so Tucker and Dale are the, the main characters and they're these kind of like, well, they're hillbillies, right? They're Hicks. And they're the ones that this group of like preppy college kids meet at the gas station. You know, the, the famous always, you got always got to have a run in with Hicks at the gas station. Well, this movie is told from the point of view of the Hicks and they're really good guys. And what ends up happening is that through a whole bunch of, you know, 
weird coincidences and mischances, all these kids that are going to this cabin in the woods start getting killed off, thinking that it's these two guys that are doing it. Meanwhile, they are like, like all these college kids are just dying around us. I think they have a suicide pact. We got we got to help them. We got to save them. And so it's like these, these two conflicting ideas, um, and it works really well. And so my moment is kind of a good example of what the movie is doing and how it's perfectly fine to be completely ridiculous to get across the premise that it's going for. Uh, so it's I can't remember which. I think it's Dale, who's played by. That guy from Firefly. Oh, I can't remember his name. I'll figure it out. Ross um, Whedon? Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk is his name. Uh, he's been in... You'll, you know him. You've seen him. I know Alan stuff. Tudyk. Yeah. He does a lot of like voice work, too. So he's... Yeah. Yeah. And he looks like my... geek circles, I see him. Right. Not personally, but you know. <laughs> um, And so he's... Him and his buddy Tucker, they're out at his cabin because he just bought a new cabin, a vacation home that they're really excited about. And so he's going to go chop up some wood uh, with his chainsaw. So he's, so he's chainsawing the wood, but what he doesn't know is there's a beehive in the wood. And so he cuts through the beehive and the bees start chasing him. And so he's running away. um, And one of the college guys sees him running away. However, he's still holding the chainsaw and he's like running like mad, trying to get away from the bees, but he's waving the chainsaw around. And so the college kid is like, okay, this guy is after me with a chainsaw. So he starts turning away. And next thing you know, they're like side by side and they're kind of looking at each other like, what are you doing? And what are you doing? And then the college kid just gets some impales himself <laughs> on this giant <laughs> stick. Um, yeah, it is. So that's kind of what the movie is going for. That's a good idea example of what this movie is doing. So it keeps finding these like inventive yet really silly ways uh, to make all the college students think they're being hunted by these two guys, but the two guys are really just kind of going about their business and it all is just coincidental happenstance basically. So yeah. Have either of you seen this? No, nope. no. <laughs> um, but I was familiar with the premise. Like I knew it was about these kids misinterpreting everything. These rednecks do as being a hostile act against them. And I do think this scene is really clever just for like, you can see some of these things emerging naturally, but it's like, how do you get that Texas chainsaw? Like the thing Leatherface does where he holds the chainsaw above his head kind of, you know, how do you get someone to do that in a way that's not actually a hostile act or the act of, you know, an insane murderer? Uh, And this is a pretty clever solution to that. I must say it works pretty Uh, well. I was not expecting the kid to be impaled at the end. That was a shock <laughs> to me. Yeah, they well, uh, they love like picking out all these little horror tropes and just doing stuff with them. Like there's a moment with a wood chipper later in the movie. And yeah, they love to like, what are the, some of the classic ways that these, that these characters would get killed and how can we play with that? I think it does a really good job. <laughs> well, and if I remember too, with the scene with the the chainsaw, when the kid does get impaled, there's a moment where he sees like a bee like yes. land on his nose, and it's like, is the idea that he's realizing like, oh, that was why it had <laughs> nothing to do with me. Because that's and that is funny, but that's also like there's a there's a hint of cruelty there too. There and just like this kid learns exactly how stupid his death was at the exact moment. <laughs> Wait, what's it was? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would recommend it. It's, it's, it's fun. Like it's just a lot of fun. Even, even that the gas station scene that I mentioned, um, even something like that works. Cause basically what it comes down to is, uh, one of the guys, Tucker, he actually just wants to go introduce himself, but the other guy's like talking him up. He's like, you got to be confident. That's one thing you lack is like confidence. So you just got to go there, smile a lot and laugh a lot. And so he goes over and he's just like the most awkward. <laughs> so you're going to the cabin. And then, <laughs> so of course they're all creeped out by him, but <laughs> the intentions behind it are, you know, just a guy trying to be friendly and it's so good. Mm-hmm. Nice. <clears throat> Yeah, I'd like yeah. to see it. This is the most, like, I heard about it back in the day, and for whatever reason, it just didn't seem, I think partly the title made it in my head seem like it was a more supernatural-based Yeah, comedy. it's not a it's not a great title. The, yeah. yeah. The title needs to be different. call it instead, but. Because it's not like, I guess they probably got the evil from Evil Dead, which is yeah. something this is really playing off of, but it doesn't really fit. Well, I thought it was like Evil Dead, but the Ash is a redneck was basically my understanding mm, of it. That makes sense. Um, at when it first came out, and it's not till later that I kind of clicked that it was not that. Um, but you've made a compelling case for it. Do you know if it's streaming anywhere? No idea. Okay. I don't know. Didn't look. Sorry. That's okay. Didn't know that was my job. Well, I you don't have to get weird about <laughs> it. <laughs> Uh, just for that, I'm recommending nothing but gross out movies for here on in. Yeah, I'm doing romantic comedies, <laughs> and I'm gonna find a way to talk about like a Serbian film or something. Um, <laughs> though, then I would have to watch that, so maybe you're off the hook. Um, I could just I think... give up on my quest at some point too. If you keep pushing it, yeah, oh, you'll, you'll, you're not a quitter. I know that about you. You're dedicated. That's 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 what the fans know you for. So, well, I'm trying. Nice. Once I tried to do watch Pink Flamingos, we'll see how long that lasts. But yeah, I mean, I did feel bad about that one, to be fair, because <laughs> I hate that one too. So I was like, oh man, if I don't like it, God only knows. <laughs> um, but I, I, right. I had to do it that week. <laughs> um, cool. Do you have any thoughts on this scene, Brooke? No, I just I can't be- I can't believe they impaled the kid because I thought maybe he like <laughs> the way that it was shot. It's almost like oh, like he knocked his head or something at first because they don't show it and then they reveal it and I was like oh, oh right oh. yeah oh okay like that's <laughs> mm-hmm. where it's going yeah you don't fully realize the severity of like like he's like oh he could have just been like you know he got stuck oh no <laughs> or like bonked his head and was unconscious or whatever yeah, yeah. like. Well, that's there's a moment, there's a version of this movie hypothetically that's like there's no consequences to it, right? Um, and it is more interesting that it's a comedy, but they are really dying, yes, <laughs> yeah, yep, awesome. Okay, well, Brooke, we'll throw it back to you. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so my second pick was from Adam's Family Values, um, because I really like this movie and I was trying to really think about. <laughs> movies that I like that are horror comedy and I was kind of just scrolling through like lists of horror comedies and stuff and this one came up and I mean I've been a fan of this movie for a long time before I even like started dating Dan and watching a wide variety of films that were outside of my um my book of movies but (laughs) um Adam's Family Values is funny to me because it's uh 
it's just so quick-witted and the characters are so fun um especially in these versions i really like the casting with um christina uh christina ritchie as uh wednesday adams and then obviously morticia adams is oh my god angelica houston and then i can't remember who plays um the dad raul julia oh, okay yeah he was like a big stage actor but this is probably what he's most known for to like for, for movies millennials and yeah you know, yeah and then of this course, and m bison from the street fighter movie yeah yeah and oh my god why am i blanking on his name that plays uncle fest christopher lloyd oh my god like seriously <laughs> christopher lloyd my brother mentioned him like eight times over thanksgiving I weekend know. you think he'd remember <laughs> speaking of thanksgiving there's a great scene in this movie um which i didn't choose because it's basically like the best part of the movie and it's hard to ignore but i wanted to pick something a bit smaller um but if you if you like adam's family go watch adam's family value and watch the the thanksgiving play that they have yeah that scene's amazing <laughs> this is also like and it's like of the two adam's family movies this is the best one by a pretty wide yeah. margin yeah, I think that's a pretty common consensus. Yeah. The first one's like, okay, it's got its moments. That cast is still really good. But the second movie is dramatically superior. Well, I just find like, it's kind of a similar premise of like people trying to steal their family wealth. But this one just, I think they finally got the groove of like what they wanted the characters to do and be and the humor down pat. Um especially with Christopher Lloyd as Fester, because I think he's he's a great part of this movie. Um, but the person I want to talk about is the girlfriend who's the, who starts off as the nanny, quote unquote, Debbie, who's uh, Joan Cusack, yep. I believe. Um, and Debbie comes in and, you know, seemingly at first she is there to be with the family and she's kind of quirky and stuff. But then she falls for Fester um, and Fester is like madly in love with her. Um, but we soon realize that it's not, she's not actually in love with him. She's in it for the money. She plans, um, she's known as, I can't remember what the the name of the killer is, but like something like the Black Widow killer. The Merry Widow Murderer? Oh, Am I making that yeah. up? That feels right. It's something like that where she's like, idea. she is known for having previous cases of killing her husbands for their wealth and then moving on to the next victim. But, um, and they kind of make a point of like showing that on the TV and her watching and her laughing and it all being maniacal. But the best part about this is that she married into the Adams family, which is already a bizarre enough family. And every time she tries to kill Fester, he just comes back and he's not dead like throwing in like the radio in the bathtub and he comes out and he's got the light bulb in his mouth and it's lighting up <laughs> or when there's like a present in the house and it's a bomb and then he comes out of the house with the the meat loaf or whatever like running out like oh like it's the food's burnt and she's like sitting there like why won't you just die <laughs> um which is funny in itself um my moment comes kind of near the end where it's the final climax and Joan Cusack's got everybody. I think everybody comes back to the Adams family house and Joan Cusack finds them there and ends up kind of getting them all hostage. So they're all in these like electric chairs 
Um, and she's got them all in a semicircle, um, all the members of the family. And she starts going on this story about basically like her origin story as a villain. And the best, <laughs> the funniest part to me is she starts out the slideshow saying, you know, don't like, I, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be like, have the riches and like everything else. I deserve to be happy. And she says, you know, first example, my parents, and then she shows, shows a picture of the parents. It's like, all I wanted was a, a ballerina Barbie with a little pink tutu, like graceful and elegant. That's who I was. Like she's identifying as this Barbie. She's like this on my 10th birthday. That's all I asked for. And then she says, and then she's like, but guess, but no. And then I can't remember. I think one of the family members makes a snide comment, but then she's like, Malibu Barbie. (laughs) And they show a picture of her enraged as a child opening this character. She's like, that's not who I was. I was, she's like, I was delicate and graceful like a ballerina. Like, and I got stupid Malibu Barbie. And then there was, and then at the end she's like, and they had, so then they had to go. So then she kind of goes through the slideshow to show the Adams family all her ex-husbands and why she killed them. And they're so ludicrous, the reasoning behind them. It's like one of them was like, oh, we don't have enough in the budget for Mercedes. And, and she's like, okay, like eat this or something like that. And it's like a picture of him being run over by the car, <laughs> the Mercedes car that she wanted. Like, it's just so bizarre and I think it's it's kind of a fun moment too because you realize oh she is really actually kind of bat bat poop crazy oh you almost swore I almost did I didn't um she's a little cuckoo um a little we knew that by now yeah but no but like okay but I mean in a sense like the Adams family like she would fit right in and I think I saw a comment on a YouTube video one time when I was watching clips because at the time I didn't I couldn't watch the movie, so I'd watch clips, but I remember seeing something like, it's sad that all she cared about was, like, the money and the riches, because if she really did love Fester, she'd fit right in, because she is this, like, quirky person that totally fits in this with this family, but she has the wrong motives altogether. But it's funny how people come together like that, and uh, I just think she's a nice um, foil to the family. I suppose but um she's she's funny yeah and the cast is great so she out adam's family the adam's family yeah well that's the great thing is throughout this monologue like morticia is clearly sympathetic to her she's like don't i deserve nice things and jewels (laughs) and it cuts to morticia and she's like teary-eyed like yeah (laughs) yeah and like i don't remember what the character's name is but it's like the the aunt no the grandma and she keeps saying like uh when it's like, oh, my husband was a doctor who helped everybody else. And it comes to grandma, like, but what about Debbie? Yeah. Like, they're so <laughs> sympathetic to her. And it's like, you know, Morticia, too, has this line about, like, you know, talking about all the horrible things that she's done to fester, but adds at the end, I respect that. Like, there's almost this thing of, like, <laughs> as a person, they all are okay with who Debbie is. It's just that she's a person against them. Right. So therefore, yeah, uh, which is kill Fester. Yeah, and yeah. that's such a fun dynamic. Yeah. It's also part of what makes this the better sequel because, like, I don't even I know in the first movie it's 
the whole thing is like it's not really fester and he's posing as fester and the twist at the end is like oh it actually is the real fester like that's i don't remember who the actual villain behind that is though it's the person that like his is his mother quote unquote right that's kind of oh, right him to do yeah. it and this character is so much more interesting because yeah visually like she's the polar opposite of the adams family like, mm-hmm. she wears a lot of all white and she's sort of like the blonde bombshell yeah she's yeah. barbieified beauty but she's got that same streak of uh just malice in her uh <laughs> that fits really well with them like she's such a perfect antagonist to them because she is like a reflection of them yeah that makes perfect sense like (laughs) yeah like you could definitely see wednesday being the one to burn down her home because she didn't get the right toy yeah Yeah, perfect Mm -hmm. exactly yeah exactly (laughs) now greta gerwig lost out on a has a missed opportunity she should have had joan cusack playing ballerina barbie Oh, that would have been great. That would have been hilarious. <laughs> she finally, Debbie finally got her wish. Or yeah. as Malibu Barbie. Yeah, and she's still pissed <laughs> off about it. That'd be great. <laughs> it is also great that, like, I, I like when movies, you know, we talk about having nuanced villains, but it's also fun when the motivation is absurd and they just run with it. Well, and yeah. I think what makes it perfect, too, is, like, how minuscule the error was here for her to then just snap as a kid <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to like a di- like a different model of barbie it didn't like it had to be that model of barbie it couldn't just be a barbie like it had to be the ballerina barbie mm-hmm. and that just set her off and made her kill her parents like it's just so <laughs> ridiculous but i think that also and that kind of that's the secret weapon too with the adams family is it's like it's very macabre <clears throat> but it's also very sweet in its own way and wholesome, be it in an unconventional way. Like if you, if you actually made the motivation even slightly more plausible, like even just she wasn't given presents as a child, not mm-hmm. even that she was abused. This just she wasn't given presents. It starts to get a little too real and a right. little too sad. Yeah, it's got to you know? be outlandish a little bit. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. then you can still just have fun with it. That said, uh, and- if I was in the same situation and I wanted like the Jurassic Park 4K Blu-ray, and somebody got me a box set of all six Jurassic Park movies kind of see where she's coming from sure sure normally i would chastise you for your weird <laughs> box set ways but the jurassic world movie i mean i also only own the first two jurassic parks on blu-ray because the rest are terrible that, so, that's what i'm saying in this case i actually understand <laughs> um yeah so you know maybe debbie was the real hero after all and that's the fun thing like you can tell like her and morticia would be best friends otherwise <laughs> um it's also great that throughout the sequence you have the the Gomez baby with the stash doing the most absurd like baby's day out adventure throughout the house to eventually thwart the Right, scheme, I forgot about that. Including yeah, the one in this scene. Yeah, the one insane shot where he's propelled through the sky and like briefly glances by a plane window which connects to another subplot in the film. Um yeah, it's it's a silly film, but it's a well organized and structured one. Was that uh, was that baby like introduced right at the end of the first movie? Am I remembering that correctly? It's at the be- beginning of the Adam Family Values, where she's like, it, it's literally within I think the first like twenty minutes where she's like, it's the first like five seconds. Yeah, it's oh. like I'm having a baby right now. Yeah, right now. <laughs> oh, okay. And then like they rush her in, and then yeah. Which is the moment where right from the start, it's like, okay, this is better than the first one. <laughs> it took like five seconds. Yeah. The first joke is hysterical. Yeah. And then dad comes out. 
from the hospital room and he yells to the family, it's an Adams. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was funny. It's a great film. It's a really fun movie. Um, And yeah, it's also like a good, in a way, a good family film. If you want something around the Halloween season and you're at like a bigger gathering, you can't play something too hardcore. Yeah, it fits a good niche there. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a gross movie and I wouldn't even say it's scary necessarily. Unless you're a weenie. Vibes, those Halloween vibes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's too... Without being horrible, like Hocus Pocus or something. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, she loves it. We got that on (laughs) Blu-ray. Okay, let's not go crazy here. I do like it a lot. I don't love it, though. Can we get rid of it, then? (laughs) See, that's the thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's violent in the way that like, you know, the roadrunner, Wiley Coyote chasing the roadrunner is violent. Like it's, it's, there is a lot of like technically violent images, but yeah. they're in such a silly and exaggerated context that it'd be hard pressed to actually think it's violent. The one thing that would be, I think, controversial in some families is the stuff at the summer camp where it's very openly criticizing, um, sort of the like the genocide of indigenous people and the way that like white people kind of co-op the um like columbus day and things like that like even down to the fact that like when they're casting the part all the good roles go to the the normal looking uh able-bodied attractive white kids and all the weird kids or kids with disabilities get cast as the as the indians quote unquote like that's there's political statements in there and if you're you know that might be controversial in certain households. Well, I'll say that thing about like basically they talk about at the beginning when they come to the camp about uh, oh god it wasn't ableism but like basically they make a whole speech like the two camp counselors about how it's like white privilege basically coming mm-hmm. to the camp like the camp's theme is like white privilege right <laughs> so yeah it definitely sets it up to be quite absurd. But it, and it, it's and it faces you know like it's addressing things that in certain contexts yeah and there are certain things that certain people don't actually want to talk about or reckon mm-hmm. with or have that conversation with their kids even because it's a difficult one, mm-hmm. um, which is also like for us it's a plus where it's like man this movie's like you know it's it's not afraid to go certain places and uh, that's great yeah I can respect that. Yeah. Yeah, Did either of you watch the Adams Family at all like the show? The original series? Yeah. No. No, and I didn't bother watching Wednesday either on Netflix. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I've heard it's good, but I'm also like, I I think like when something's good, it should just be left that way. I don't necessarily <laughs> think you need to have an entire TV series about it, personally. But that's just my take. Yeah, I didn't watch one. I don't watch TV, so we watched the monsters. Oh yeah, yeah. You sound so bitter. I mean, it's kind of weird because I don't know. We were just always the the a monsters family. Didn't really watch the Adams family, but then the Adams family got all the cool movies. So hey, later it was you like, got Rob oh, Zombie. Oh, good. <laughs> the Master Otour. <laughs> that movie does look not good. It doesn't. Um, I haven't seen it yet though, so maybe. I don't think I've seen the any episodes of the original of either series. I think I watched there was like an Adams Family Canadian show 
around the same time, maybe like a decade after these 90s movies. And I think I watched a bit of that when I was a kid, but I can couldn't tell you a thing about it. And in my memory from that time period, it all blurs together. Like I just see the characters as they were in the movies, which is partly because I'm guessing they were trying to model those characterizations really strictly after those movies because they were successful. But yeah. Anyway, good pick, Brooke. Thank you. All right. uh, I'll close out with something not gross, but it's another scene about people at a table eating stuff, which is the wine tasting scene from Tales of Terror. Uh, Tales of Terror is an anthology film. It's part of the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe cycle, and it's an adaptation of three different Poe short stories. Um, it's not a very good movie overall. I don't think the the first short is kind of okay-ish, but doesn't really go anywhere. And then the third short fizzles and is not that interesting. But the middle short, which adapts The Black Cat uh, with uh, Vincent Price and Peter Lorre for the first time together squaring off with each other, is delightful. And it is a horror story. Like The central horror idea involves the Lorre character eventually, spoiler alert, burying his wife and Vincent Price becomes her lover alive in this crypt, which is a pretty horrific idea. And it's executed in a way that mixes the horror and comedy of this short really effectively. But the moment I'm choosing is pretty much absent horror entirely and is basically just a comedy scene. But I was so <laughs> delighted when I saw it that I knew that I had to talk about it for this podcast because I just watched the movie independent, but I knew we were having a horror comedy episode coming right. up. I was like, Ooh, I'll keep that in the old memory bank. <laughs> so Peter Lorre is this drunk and um, disheveled and does not have money. And he's basically just trying to be able to drink for free. And he sees there's a wine tasting event going on. So he stumbles in and he makes a claim of he can, you know, out he can out wine taste anyone. And the, the main man in this regard is Vincent Price. And the contrast between them is apparent immediately. Vincent Price, of course, is very well dressed and well groomed, stylized. He's got his hair is just pristine and how it's cut he's got this air of elegance and sophistication about him laurier stumbles in dressed like a homeless person you can tell he probably smells he's overweight he's disheveled he's got a sort of like glassy look in his eye and uh they're gonna have the wine taste off and just the initial the whole scene is like it's kind of a bigger scene than what would be allowed for this show but it's not the most well-known film so i'm going for it but if i'm having to narrow it down to a specific beat within i'm gonna go with the first exchange of tastes where Vincent Price takes his sip from his little wine tasting glass and he starts swishing it around in the most exaggerated ways like when you're (laughs) using mouthwash like and it's so loud on the soundtrack and his cheeks are so blown up and uh he's making his eyes are bulging out and then when he actually swallows he starts breathing out like (sighs) in this really like again big exaggerated ways and you know, feeling it, getting the mouthfeel going. And then he says, uh, you know, he identifies what it is and has a line about uh, uh, quite passable, you know, very charming. And it cuts to the the waiter pouring this little tiny glass for uh, Peter Laurie. And he adds, don't be so stingy. Give me more. And he takes over <laughs> like a full glass, which if I have to narrow my moment down even further, it's that line specifically. <laughs> it's hilarious. And he just chugs it immediately identifies it and goes, it's very good. (laughs) It's such a perfect distillation of, it's like the ultimate snobs versus slobs scene in history. 
you know, the very refined, very critically minded, astute uh, master of the craft and this this oafish, uh, buffoonish character in many ways who just wants to drink. And it's so, I mean, inherently, I think most of us are going to inherently align ourselves with the slob no matter what. Like in my heart of hearts, I probably am closer to the snob end of the spectrum, but... <laughs> I still want to be with the slob in this scene in particular. It's so easy to, to, you know, identify with Laurie because he's such, he's so pure. He reminds me of this tweet where it's like the people who love movies the most are those dads whose favorite film is like air force one. And they watch it in full every time it's on TV. Like it's not <laughs> the most sophisticated enjoyment, but it's a pure love than, you know, many of us could ever really relate to. And there's something similar going on here where, you know, and, and Vincent Price tries to explain him the proper etiquette for wine tasting and going through the steps. And Laurie just cuts him off. You have your way. I have my way. It's it's <laughs> wonderful. And it's this great, hilarious sequence that sets up the dynamic between them perfectly. And it does ultimately go for this confrontational relationship that escalates to this horrific act. But it's also impossible not to watch this scene and imagine in your head like, see it as like this queer coded love story and look at it as like, this is, this should be Han Solo and Princess Leia. This should be the ultimate like <laughs> opposites attract story. Cause they're, yes, they're at odds end, but they're also, they perfectly complement each other and they're both in their own ways. So good at this. It's hard not to fall in love with them, not just as characters individually, but as a pair. So that's my moment. Nice. It's a good Testament to, to these two actors too. And like, how they do what they do so brilliantly because because when vincent bright is is doing the wine tasting and he's making all those ridiculous gestures you're like he is right in it like he is full <laughs> vincent price and it's great and then peter laurie is like okay what year was this movie 63 because i don't i don't know Maybe that 62. i've i don't know that i've ever actually seen peter laurie at this age before Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit of a shock as well, because I'm used to like early 40s and 30s Peter Laurie. Um, and he's I mean, he's Peter Laurie. He's so good at what he does, too. And they're <laughs> they're perfect opposites here. It's so good. Yeah, they really do play it up well. I haven't seen yeah. the movie, but I did watch the scene. So just uh... I mean, it's the best scene in the film by a wide margin. The whole story. This section is good. I do think the movie's worth watching on the whole just for this chapter but this sequence is like the crown jewel of tales of terror is it okay so is it anthology or is it kind of like they've mixed all these post stories together no it's anthology it's story by stories and this is is in all three but as different characters in all three okay and this is cask of amontillado this is the black cat that is the black cat okay uh i don't remember what the other two are so I haven't read the post story. I'm sure. I think I'm pretty sure Cask of because that's I think that's my favorite post story is the Cask of Montiago or something. Yeah, I can't remember yeah, what the name is called. I think that called, one but... is one of the short stories in the movie. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic story. So I would like to watch it just for that even. there. I mean, the, the Poe Corman films are worth watching in general. They're all pretty fun. They're not great Poe adaptations in part because they're trying to stretch shorts out to feature length. Mm-hmm. In some ways, you'd think this would be the most natural fit because, oh, it's it's an anthology, it's shorts. But it actually, overall, I'd say this is one of the weaker films in the cycle. Um, 
but this it just has this one amazing scene that is so good <laughs> that I'm like ah you know nice. overall pretty good um yeah I, I really like this one yeah yeah that's uh I'll check it out definitely I wanna see uh see how these two so is Peter Laurie and all of them too or is it just Vincent Price just Vincent Price and then they okay. would reteam a, the next year because th- this was like the highlight of the film Corman put them together again along with Boris Karloff and I'm going to put this in quotes an adaptation of the Raven which has very little resemblance to the actual story and becomes right. about three wizards fighting each other played by Price Karloff sounds, and sounds brilliant uh, also spots a very young Jack Nicholson and uh, it's maddening to see him like six <laughs> years before easy rider it's like don't worry Jack movies will figure out what to do with you soon just hold on a little longer um and I, I, that movie has its fans. I thought that one was pretty lame. Okay. Um, in part, just because it goes full in on being like a farce. I like those actors, so there's still parts that I enjoy. But this film and this short that I think has a more, uh, even though it's silly, it's a bit more precise and more disciplined in its comedy, I think is way more effective. Like we watched it together and I could not believe how much I was laughing throughout this scene. <laughs> I mean, these movies, like the, the Corman Poe adaptation movies in general were just like surprising to me how much I enjoyed them. I just thought they were fantastic. Um, but this scene in particular was pretty funny. And I, as somebody who does coffee tastings and things like that, where it does seem ridiculous, the process of doing it, this was just so over the top, the way that the wine tasting was done by Vincent Price. You, you can't help but laugh. Like, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> like, it was... Oh, and I just love Vincent Price. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's also it, it's a good excuse for him to flex a little bit as an actor because, you know, he's very good in all the Corman Poe movies. But it's like the horror icon becomes kind of a limitation. Um, right. The fact that this lets him cut loose and just be completely silly. And you can see like, oh, he's really good at that. <laughs> like, he's really funny. Yeah. Um, like you could take this scene out of its context and put it in a new version of this movie that's entirely a comedy about these two and it works just as well. Excellent. But the horror stuff is actually pretty well integrated and when it gets to Lori burying them alive, it is actually still chilling in its own way but also still has jokes that make it funny. Hmm. Um, And his like alcoholism is important to the plot <laughs> and how it dovetails <laughs> with the horror so... Uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, it reminds me of when I went to Scotland. I did a tour at a whiskey distillery. Um, so and at the end, they gave us samples of the scotch that they made there. And so all these all these guys are going there and they're sipping the scotch and they're you they're doing it like a tasting and they're saying, "Oh yeah, I get hints of wood and hints of smoke and hints." I think there's some cherry that comes from the barrel. And then I try it and I'm just I'm just nodding along with them. But meanwhile, I'm like. All I taste is burning. My throat is on fire. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the other, like, as as uh, from the unrefined palate. Yeah, whenever yeah. these things come up, it's like, <laughs> especially, like, I don't like wine in general. So I'm just like, ugh. I mean, I've never had, like, good wine, I suppose. But uh, I should have had what Lori was drinking, because apparently all of them were very good. What did he say? Like, built from the slopes of the 
from the good slopes of the winery or something. He had yeah, some, yeah, he had yeah. some line that really made me laugh. I can't remember exactly what it was. And just every time, it's very good. It's very good. <laughs> Which is kind of a fun nod to like, it's just as long as it's booze, it's very good. <laughs> nice. Yeah, good pick. Sweet. All right. Well, sorry we didn't get to all your favorites like Beetlejuice and Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, I will resent that being a horror comedy. That's just a comedy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's got ghosts in it, right in the title. Yeah, but yeah, come on. <laughs> I mean, one of the guys, one of the camp counselors in Adam's Family Values is the evil guy the from Ghostbusters 2, the artist that oh, yeah. Ego That's true. takes control of. That's true. He's the camp counselor in Adam's Family Values, so there is a Ghostbusters connection there. Yeah, but uh, I've had it with Ghostbusters. I'm done. <laughs> I've, I'm over it. You're busted. Okay. I'm, 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 I am busted. <laughs> busted no longer makes me feel good. You know that oh, bit? Man. Like it's like uh, everyone loves Ned Flanders. It's like busted makes me feel good, and I'm pulling up the sheet like not me. <laughs> Oh, well, anyway, those are our comedies. Um, do you have time for some listener feedback? We do. Yeah, as long as it's complimentary. Oh, I think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so we did just have our 100th episode in case you missed it. And we asked a question on Spotify. We said, are there any movies that you discovered or watched because of the podcast? And so we got a few results here. So let's uh, talk about them. We've got miles and i don't know if this is the miles who's been on our show or not but if not then it's another miles and welcome miles he said la confidential which he found was a great film and he's hoping it gets a 4k release so there we go mm. introduce someone to la confidential i'm glad i love that movie is it is awesome um matt matthew from who has been on the podcast before he says off the top of his head, Yojimbo and Seven Samurai. He was in oh, his early 30s and never watched any Kurosawa. And he said it led him to high and low, which I think is one of his favorite movies now. So nice. Yeah. I mean, those are all top tier Kurosawa. Just keep going. Like eventually yeah. <laughs> you'll run out of like bangers, but it'll take a while, I promise. Uh, and Gunner says after Sun. He says he listened to us talk about it and praise it, and it helped get him to watch it. And now it's near top 10 for him. Nice. So awesome. I'm glad we got someone to watch that movie. And we got an email from Carl, who wanted to reply to our movies that we fell out of love with. And I think you're going to find this one interesting, Dan. Uh, let me just get it up here. So he says, and he's brought up. The 2013 movie Her mm. uh, from Spike Jones. So he says, that's the movie that comes to mind for him. He says, my drifting feelings were gradual at first, but rewatched the film a few months ago. And that made the lack of love a lot more sudden. He found himself unable to get invested in the love story because of all the real life advancements that AI has been making and the anxiety of AI art and how it might affect the film industry. Um, so he kept overthinking the Samantha and all the advancements of other operating systems and how they'd work in real life, uh, which he never really had doubts on before. So he thought it was interesting how real world issues managed to breach the fictional world that her is set in. So I think that's a pretty interesting perspective. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting example, too, of trying to be, you know, very of your time and even a bit ahead of the curve can, I'm not even going to say negatively impact, but certainly uh, the reception towards your work can change pretty drastically as that tech evolves and our relationships to it evolve. Um, it's also interesting because that her specifically is the example, one, because my own relationship to it has been, it's a movie that I probably need to rewatch because I've only seen it once in the theater and there was someone in the theater clearly not understanding the movie and talking out loud through a lot of it, oh, no. uh, which was funny at the time. Like we were so amused, we couldn't even be mad, but it was also like, it did take us out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but also because I remember when her came out, you know, the response on from like online communities then was like downright euphoric. Like people loved wow. that movie. And I don't want to pull like a no one cares about Avatar anymore type stance, but it's not a film that I see a particular passion for now. And that might just be, you know, that might just be, again, the Avatar effect where people act like no one cares. And then actually people still really do. It's just not something that people go frenzied about online all the time. Um, And maybe but maybe it also reflects like there is actually been um a shift in how that movie's perceived or at the very least it didn't stick around the way that maybe people thought it would i don't know yeah but i i i do think it was more of the case like if you ask people about it they'd be like oh yeah yeah i love that movie like i think people would still be pretty high on it i just don't think it initiates a lot of discussion and so it seems like it's out of the that's the impression i got you might be right but it might also be just because Spike Jones hasn't made a movie since. Yeah, that could be a two. So so there's not like the reason to return for it to come up again in the zeitgeist the way that like, you know, a Nolan say who puts out something pretty consistently every yeah. couple of years. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I, I am just kind of speculating um, because again, like it's, I just think about, and part of it too might have just been like when I saw it, I was in undergrad and I know like one of the guys I lived with really loved it too. So that, affected that i had someone not just like strangers on the internet but someone in my personal life who i lived in a house with who loved it and now i don't i don't think you've seen her even no i've seen it oh you have yeah i well okay i i caught it on tv but i don't think i watched the whole thing so i would like to eventually rewatch it um just so i can actually see it in full Mm -hmm. but well we can both do that and like we can both sort of figure out what we think about it Okay. Be good. There you go. I, I don't have a guy just talking like, you know, when like he goes to have his divorce papers signed and you see Rooney Mara walk up. The I heard the guy go like, "Is that her?" referring to like Samantha, <laughs> like he was as if he was been talking on the phone the, the whole movie. Her. Yeah. Oh, like That's did not funny. understand that it was like an AI voice and not his girlfriend who he's talking to on the phone. Right. Truly a maddening theatrical experience. <laughs> Yeah, I do think Carl's point is interesting, though. And I wonder, mm-hmm. I, I I would be very curious what you would think about it, because you've been very vocal about about the AI art issues. Um, but it's interesting, especially when you think of like all these sci-fi movies that are set in the not so distant future. What starts, mm-hmm. what does our perception of those films become once we start approaching those futures closer yeah. and closer? It's well, interesting. It's, I think and it's the interesting be... thing with AI art in particular is like Samantha in the film is positioned as like an artificial intelligence. Now it's a film version of that. So functionally, it's just another fictional character in the same way that like talking animals in, you know, 
uh, Finding Nemo aren't really fish. They're functionally human characters right. in fish bodies, basically. And there's a similar thing going on with Samantha. But even ignoring that, um, you know, AI art is not actually made by artificial intelligences. They're sorting algorithms. They're, you know, they're not AI in the truest sense of the word. That's just the word that gets used, sort of branded to them. So it's interesting because, like, I might make the argument that, like, what her is depicting and what AI art is threatening to do are not totally the same thing. But I do think our shifting relationships to these technologies is a factor. Um, mm -hmm. And I also know I'll reference our friend and uh, recurring podcast guest, the movie vampire, Michael, because I remember his review from back in the day talking a lot about, like, the iffy dynamics, not so much of like, can you love a robot, but a robot that's specifically designed to cater to your needs. And there's an inherent power dynamic, power imbalance in that relationship with what is essentially a subservient thing to you that the movie doesn't really go into. And that was something yeah. that I know was like a big sort of sticking point for him. And I'd be curious to rewatch the film with that piece in mind. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. Maybe we should should all rewatch it sometime soon. Here, yes, we have a her special just to see. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for yeah. that for that email. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. We did our horror comedies, and if you think that's all we're doing, no, we've got more scary movie month com stuff coming up. So yeah, be ready. Get get chilled and and get spooky time. <laughs> Cuddle up in the blankets and you know, cower in fear of more four hour episodes as he and I ramble <laughs> endlessly about the most minute of details because we will. That's that's what we do here. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Brooke, thanks for coming on. No problem. Making your October <laughs> making your October appearance. Yep. Um, we'll see you next year, hon. Yeah. <laughs> In the meantime, don't break your wiener. <laughs> I'm glad you got it in twice. Okay, well, we'll end on there, I guess. Unless, Dan, you got anything else to share? I mean, what more could be said? What could be said? All right. Uh, leave your favorite scary movie quotes in the comments. That's right. Yep. Tweet at Let us. Let us it's... know if I should make Ian watch more gross stuff no they're all gonna say yes and oh. no, we don't know that we don't know that <sighs> anyway tweet at us at cinema underscore seconds and email us at cinema and seconds at gmail.com i've been ian and i'm daniel and we'll see you next time Ooh. <laughs> wookie <laughs>